Peter Berger, Christian sociologist, said, if you are good for nothing else, you can serve as a bad example. That's what I'm voting for, for me, say yes. That's what I can reach for. We can learn from a bad example as much as we can from a good example. And that is a good thing because, because there are a lot more bad examples than good examples available for us to learn from. Amen. <laughs> well, today in our Bible study, we're going to be reminded of a bad example that we don't want to follow. Last time in our study of the letter of Hebrews, we began looking at chapter 3, getting through the first six verses, and today we're going to look at the rest of chapter 3. In those first six verses, the author, he compares Jesus to Moses, highlighting that even as faithful of a servant of God as Moses was, Jesus is more faithful and more capable because he's the very son of of God, not a servant. This leads the author into a comparison of the followers of Moses and the followers of Jesus, which occupies the remainder of chapter 3 and on into chapter 4. This is all part of an exhortation that the author of Hebrews is giving his readers about not giving up on our faith in Jesus Christ and the need for us to make a full commitment of our life to Him. He uses the example of the people in Moses' day who failed to take hold of the good things that God wanted to give them because of their unbelief and disobedience. The Apostle Paul, he tells us that the story of the Israelites in Moses' day have been written down for us to serve as a warning and an example to learn from. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Paul wrote this. He said, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The story of the people that Moses led out of Egyptian slavery and across the desert wilderness to the border of the Promised Land represents one of the epic failures of all time. There has never been a people who were the recipients of so much from God and witnessed as much supernatural stuff as those people. Yet they never embraced God's vision for them. They remained small-minded about who they were, their destiny, and the glory and goodness of God. They never took hold of God with faith, following His call on their lives to become His people. They never saw themselves as the people of God. They were, in their minds and hearts, simply former slaves of Egypt. In fact, they sought to return to Egypt repeatedly, even though all that awaited them there would have been dehumanizing abuse and bondage. They never took hold of the freedom God wanted to give them, the new kind of life God wanted to give them, the new kind of relationship that God wanted to have with them. It's tragically sad to realize the lost potential of those people 
which was the result of their unbelief and disobedience. They didn't trust God. They doubted God. They refused to let go of their old life, and it robbed them of the new life that they could have had. Now, if we remember the comparison of Moses and Jesus in those earlier verses of chapter 3, and realize that what Moses did modeled what Jesus has done in the eternal realm, we can also see then some obvious parallels between the story of the Israelites and our own stories. For example, those people were delivered from slavery. They, we too are delivered from slavery to sin and death. Those people were invited to become the people of God. We too are invited to become the people of God, actually the children of God. Those people were being led by Moses into a new life with a new kind of society. And we too are being led by Jesus into a new life with a new kind of society. It's called the church. Those people were going to the promised land, a land of abundance and blessing, of rest and refreshment, and a full release from bondage. And we too are going to the heavenly promised land, a place of abundance and blessing, of rest and refreshment, and a complete release from our bondage to sin and death. And the same thing that kept those people from receiving the life that God wanted to give them can keep us from receiving the life that God wants to give us. To repeat, they never embraced God's vision for them. They remained small-minded about who they were and the glory and the goodness of God. They never took hold of God with faith, following His call on their lives to become His people. They never saw themselves as the people of God. They were, in their minds and hearts, simply former slaves. They never took hold of the freedom that God wanted to give them, the new kind of life that God wanted to give them, the new kind of relationship that God wanted to have with them. Their unbelief and their disobedience, their distrust of God, their doubting of God, their refusal to let go of their old life, it robbed them of the new life that they could have had. We begin in Hebrews 3, 7 this morning. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with their with that generation, I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is a quote from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, which is a summary of what took place in the desert wilderness between the people of Moses' day and the Lord. And it begins in verse 7 with the words, so as the Holy Spirit says, and I want to pause there for a minute before we get into the rest of this text, I want us to notice who is being credited as the author of Psalm 95, the Holy Spirit. 
There were many human authors who wrote the various books in the Bible, but the super author, the intelligence working through these various human personalities to produce the written words that represent the mind of God was the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1-2 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalm 95 and the rest of this book is the Word of God because it comes from the Holy Spirit. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Hearts. In this, in this context, the word hearts does not refer to that blood-pumping muscle in our body. Instead, the heart refers to the center of a person's being. The heart is the seat of of the feelings, desires, thoughts, and will of a human being. So when it says, do not harden your hearts, it means don't become obstinate or stubborn or disobedient or closed off toward God. As you did in the rebellion or in the provocation or in the exasperation. It says, during the time of testing in the wilderness, the people tested the Lord out in the wilderness, they challenged him, they tried his patience, they questioned his character, they rebelled against him. The, the Lord used the difficulties brought about in the wilderness experience to test the Israelite people to see if they would trust and obey him. But ironically, they failed miserably, and rather than submitting to the Lord's testing of them, they were actually testing him. And the incident being referred to here is found in Exodus chapter 17. This is just one of many situations where these people tested the Lord and rebelled against Him. But I want to flip back to Exodus 17 and read this story. And reflect on it here as the author of Hebrews is calling it to our attention. Exodus 17, it Beginning in verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and the livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, 
and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Massa means testing, and Meribah means quarreling. It says the people quarreled or fought with Moses in verse 2. Moses says in verse 4 that the people are almost ready to stone him. The people, they're not just mildly complaining, sharing a bit of irritation. They are an angry mob. They were demanding water. But the real issue is revealed for us in their remark in verse 7, when they say, is the Lord among us or not? Now, in order for us to fully appreciate just how faithless and disobedient and wicked that remark was, we need to remember all that God has done for them up to this point in the story of the Exodus. They were miraculously freed from almost 400 years of slavery in Egypt through 10 miraculous plagues that God brought against the land of Egypt to free them. They were then led through the desert wilderness by a mysterious cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. They then witnessed the parting of the Red Sea for them so that they could cross over on dry ground. And they also witnessed the drowning of Pharaoh's army in that same Red Sea crossing. They witnessed the miracle of the water at the lake being changed from bitter to sweet so that they could drink. They were eating the mysterious bread grain from heaven every day called manna, which was sustaining them. These people saw miracle after miracle. They watched the Lord provide for them again and again. They watched the Lord protect them and sustain them repeatedly. But rather than growing in their trust of the Lord, seeing that God was going to take care of them, that he was faithful, they made no progress. They never trusted the Lord. They whined and they complained. They questioned the motives of God. And Moses, they accused God and Moses of trying to kill them. They never embraced the new life that the Lord was trying to give them. They were cowardly and faithless. And they remained that way no matter what was done for them. If we flip back to Hebrews 3, verse 9, it says, Where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Their faithless, whining, cowardly ways continued for 40 years. Rather than entering the promised land after an 18-month journey across the desert wilderness, these people spent their lives wandering in circles in the desert for 40 years. And during all that time, they never embraced the Lord and the good life that he wanted to give them. They never thought, to trust him. They always thought they had a better idea about everything. 
And the longer they pushed God away, the harder their hearts got. What wasted lives they lived. 10. says, that's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. The word translated angry, it means to be extremely displeased, disgusted, provoked, grieved, sickened. These people had not simply made a few mistakes and errors in judgment along the way. It says they were always going astray and rebelling against God's leadership. They never learned and followed the Lord's ways. Their hearts were never knit to the Lord. And them not knowing the Lord's ways, it was not for a lack of opportunity. God had revealed himself to them in many different ways. He had proved himself faithful again and again. He had shown his true character and his intent toward them many times. They didn't want to know the Lord's ways. They never applied themselves to the exciting discovery of learning who God is. 11, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This oath was made in Numbers 14, verse 20 through 23. The story that's referenced there goes like this. The Israelites had finally arrived at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And from there, some men were chosen and sent to explore the promised land of Canaan. And after 40 days, the explorers returned and they reported back to Moses and the people what they had seen. And they said that everything Everything that God had said about the land was true. It really was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was the most beautiful place they had ever seen. But, they said, the people there are giants. And they live in large fortified cities. We are like grasshoppers compared to them. There is no way we can go up and attack them and take this land. We haven't got a chance. Well, two of the explorers, Caleb and Joshua, they said, don't listen to these other men. Let's go up and take possession of the land, for we can do it. The Lord is with us. Those people don't stand a chance against our great God. But the people, they chose to listen to the other men instead. They were filled with fear, and they began weeping and grumbling against Moses and God. They said, oh, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt. And the people, they started talking about stoning Moses and choosing another leader to take them back to Egypt. And that's when the glory of the Lord appeared at the tabernacle. And the Lord said, none of these people will enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Then he had Moses 
lead the people back out into the desert wilderness where they would spend the rest of their lives the next 40 years wandering. That's their example for us to learn from. So in verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. A solemn exhortation for us to not follow in the footsteps of unbelief and disobedience of the Israelites in Moses' day. It says they had a sinful, unbelieving heart that turned away from the living God. The people of Moses' day, they forgot all that the Lord had done for them rescuing them from the awful life that they had in Egypt, and they only focused on the immediate discomforts and troubles that they were facing. And that's a danger for us too, isn't it? We don't want to forget what the Lord has done for us and what He's rescued us from and only see the immediate discomforts and pain and troubles that we're facing in the moment. Real trusting faith looks past the immediate pain to the promise waiting for us. Verse 13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We're told to encourage one another daily so that none of us will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We're to walk beside one another along this journey that we're on toward the eternal promised land that God has for us, inviting one another to know the Lord better, helping one another through our times of unbelief, strengthening one another, reassuring one another of God's faithfulness, urging one another on to obey the Lord. Caleb and Joshua, they're our examples to follow. They were the explorers who returned and they encouraged the people to not rebel against the Lord, to not give way to fear, to put their trust in the Lord, to remember the goodness and the greatness of their God. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is not something that was only relevant for the first century church. It's to be the way that we live as members of the body of Christ, the church, now. It's strengthening to know that you're not alone in the battle of life. That you have brothers and sisters standing with you in the fight. That you have people you can lean on for help and encouragement who can pray for you. That you have people who are going to get after you when you're starting to act stupid. God has designed the church the community of people who follow Jesus to work best when we are all serving and looking out for each other. The pandemic created the opportunity for a lot of people to check out 
of doing life with the rest of the family of God. But church is not a TV show that we watch once a week. It isn't a weekly obligation to sit through a few songs and listen to a Bible study on a Sunday morning. That's not what Jesus had in mind for what the church is supposed to be. We need each other. And we need to show up for each other. How often are we to encourage one another? How often are we to show up for each other? Daily. Always. Constantly. Every chance we get. I want to bring this back into the context of what's being talked about here in Hebrews 3. The the writer is telling us that a very important way of preventing our hearts from being hardened by unbelief and disobedience is to be exhorting, encouraging, comforting, imploring, urging, entreating each other all the time. In other words, being involved in the life of the church, in the lives of each other, walking hand in hand with each other through life. Fourteen, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This is the second time this warning is given, isn't it? Set it up in verse 7 and 8, and now again here. And you know what? This warning is given a third time in Hebrews 4.7. Now when the Bible repeats itself, means we're supposed to listen up and take it to heart. Well, when it's done it three times, we're definitely supposed to be listening up and taking it to heart. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The last verse of the chapter brings it back around to the issue of unbelief. It was their unbelief that led to their disobedience, which finally led to them not entering God's rest. Real belief in Jesus Christ produces a change in a person's life. Belief and obedience, they can't be separated. Real belief produces obedience, and obedience occurs in the life of the person who has belief. Think about Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, they truly believed in God and his goodness and his promises. And they acted on that. They were willing to 
charge into battle. They encouraged the people to trust in the Lord. They sought to live their lives as the new people God had called them to be. The other people, in contrast, they never really believed the Lord. They never really embraced the promises and the vision that God had for them. Never saw themselves as new people, as the people of God. And so their lives never produced genuine obedience to God either. Real followers of Jesus Christ, they believe in him and they see themselves as part of his new kingdom. Adopting its culture and its way of life. The goals of the new kingdom. The ethic of the new kingdom. They are his people and it's evident in the way that they live their life. I want to close with verse 13 of Hebrews 3, which we read a bit ago. It says, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let's do that for each other, okay? Let's encourage one another daily, so that we are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And when our faith is challenged and we're shaking from the opposition against us, we have our brothers and sisters who can come around us and strengthen us and help us. And when they're struggling, that's what we do for them. We need each other. That's the way it's supposed to work. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your good word to us today. We thank you for your reminders of bad examples and good examples. Lord, I pray that we, we will be the kind of people you've called us to be, that we would encourage each other constantly to trust you, to walk with you, I ask you you would pour your blessing down upon us, Lord, today. That your goodness would refresh us and we would be reminded of all that you have done for us and you've promised to do for us, Lord. You have been good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.